1: Despite our changing world, the majority of leaders still utilize a command and control style of leadership. But according to today's guest, Stephen M. R. Covey, the old command and control model is no longer conducive to organizational success. Stephen joins us today to discuss a leadership style that he contends will allow for increased productivity and improved company culture. Stephen is the author of The Speed of Trust and the newly released Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. He's a former president and CEO of the Covey Leadership Center, and he co-founded and currently leads Franklin Covey's global speed of trust practice. Welcome Stephen, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thank you for having me, Joan. I'm excited to have this conversation.
1: Stephen, you believe that the old command and control leadership style is now outdated. For those who may not know what that is, can you give us a brief explanation of how those leaders behave?
0: Yeah, it's just kind of the traditional way of leading, kind of like I'm the boss and and um, I'm in charge. I manage people and things kind of in a similar way. The focus is on efficiency and and um but you're really not tapping into the potential, the talent that's inside of people. You're managing, People and things almost in the same way versus the idea of manage things and lead people. The focus tends to be heavy, just kind of on motivation. So heavy carrot and stick motivation. You know, more sticks, which is fear-based. More carrots, which is kind of hey, I'll you know I'll be try to provide these incentives to get get you to do things. And so it's kind of been the traditional model really since the advent of the industrial revolution. We moved into an authoritarian command and control. And over the years, we've gotten more enlightened. We've gotten, we've added things like kindness and a focus on people, but we haven't shifted the paradigm. So it's more the kind of the traditional hierarchical, position based approach to, to managing um, organizations and to managing people. That's the think, idea. Of
1: well, so, do you think the root of that is that if we believe if we're not tough, then we're weak?
0: I think there's a lot to that, Joan. I really do. That is part of the paradigm. Is that you know? Good leadership means you're strong, you're tough, and if you're not, then then you're weak. And if you're vulnerable, then that means soft. And if you're empathic, that's not strong enough. You know that type of thing. There is a much to that mindset of kind of the positional leader that's just strong, and and um, and and tough, as opposed to open and authentic and vulnerable, and empathic. Now the interesting thing is that the the strongest form of leadership is actually what I'm calling this trust and inspire. Mm-hmm. So you can be strong without being forceful. See, the command and control tends to be more forceful. Hey, it's my way or the highway. This is how you do it. I direct. I tell people what to do. I bark out the orders. And still, for you know, for all the progress we've made, the the data shows that about nine out of ten organizations are still operating in some form of command and control approach as a predominant leadership style. You're right. I think you have identified a key issue.
1: Well, and that's something that women have struggled with, because if we're not tough, then you know we're weak, and sometimes we end up overcompensating to try to be tougher so that we can have some type of authority. Do you think that this impacts men and women differently in the workplace?
0: Um, I think this style is vital for both men and women. I do agree that There's been some historical um, premise and bias that a woman needs to show this because of of how uh, society has viewed roles in the past. But but I think that's all shifting right now. Everything is shifting and changing to where this is going to become more apparent that this kind of leadership, this what I'm calling trust and inspire, in contrast to command and control, is far more vital, more relevant, and I'm going to even submit stronger mm-hmm. than, than the old command and control model. It's a paradigm shift, but people are going to find this more relevant because everything is shifting and changing. Technology, the pace of change, the amount of change, the type of change, it's unprecedented. We have as many as five generations in the workforce today, and there's younger generations, you know, Gen Z, millennials, and even the upcoming alpha generation they have completely different expectations of how they want to be engaged and led. And then now the workplace is changing where you have work from home and remote and hybrid work options that we didn't have before. And people have choices and options. So so I can live here and work there. You know, I can. I have options and choices. And so at the end of the day, people don't want to be managed, but people do want to be led and they want to be trusted. They want to be inspired. So I think this is going to become the universal form of leading, whether female, male, a better way to lead in a new world of work.
1: Well, trust is always an issue for leaders because, you know, they always had that babysitting mentality that they had to be on top of their employees in order for the employees to get the job done, which I never really understood. But do you think the pandemic and the work from home, home, it, it forced leaders to have to trust their employees?
0: I think it accelerated A whole lot of trends that were in place, but it just it leapfrogged it to where it increased it dramatically so quickly, and it did put people into a situation where, hey, people are working from home, and maybe in the past a company hadn't considered that option. They might have had a variety of reasons why they couldn't, but for many of them, one of the real reasons was that they're not quite sure they can trust their people. Are they going to really do the work? Are they going to be goofing off, or, or you know? you know, daydreaming, whatever. So um, I do think it put people into that um, situation where they have to decide, do I trust them or not? But here's the interesting thing, gentlemen, is that while during the pandemic a lot of organizations went to some type of remote work, um, still many organizations still didn't trust their people. <laughs> they, they were just now being micromanaged from a distance. And we saw the rise of, of – so-called productivity software, which for many people looked and felt like surveillance software. You know, there's tracking your keystrokes and your location that, that uh, kind of screamed to people, or at least the perception was that you don't trust me. And so, yes, it kind of amplified where you were. For those that did trust their people, and they're now working from for home, and they trusted them before, and now they trust them in this new environment that they they actually increased the trust. But for those that kind of didn't really trust the people to begin with, and now they're in a remote environment, the people were just working remotely but still felt distrusted and micromanaged from a distance. Mm -hmm. So it amplified whatever people were to begin with.
1: Do you think those are the companies that are forcing their employees to return on-site? Because if productivity didn't go down and employees are doing well, why would they then force them to have to return to the office?
0: Yeah, I think that there's there's a, a lot to this. And I think there are some situations where that is being a command and control type of, of approach. I also think there's other situations and contexts in which there may be elements of the business or of the culture or of the approach that they have where they A company might believe that being back on site is better for collaboration or creativity or innovation, a variety of different things. But I've learned that rather than kind of the mandate approach, that the more that there's a desire for this, uh, a magnet approach, I'm attracted to it. In other words, if being on site is better, then make a better experience of being on site. So that if people come to the office, have that experience of coming to the office be better because of the culture and the environment and the in the collaboration so that it's more of I'm being pulled to it like a magnet versus being mandated to it where it's being pushed and forced upon me. And so, again, I don't want to judge any particular company because there are different contextual considerations for an organization. I, do, I talked with one CEO that... He says, yes, I know there's, there's data generically that shows that productivity remains high, but it's not as true with us in our situation, and we're not as creative. So we're trying to come back together, but people like – you know, they like having some, some uh, autonomy that they, they've gotten on this other approach. So many are moving to some type of hybrid or intentionally flexible, which is all a good thing. And, and um, But there might be situations where being together could be a better approach. So it's not a one-size-fits-all. But right. my point is whether you are remote or on-site or a hybrid, any of those structures could work as the right approach for your organization, but they'll all work better or not work very well based upon the level of trust.
1: Stephen, can you take us through the fundamental beliefs of a trust and inspire leader?
0: Absolutely. And I'm glad you asked this, Joan, because this is where it begins. The the you know, how you view people as a leader and how you view leadership. These fundamental beliefs comprise collectively your paradigm. Think of the word paradigm, it comes from the Greek paradigma. It means a mental map or model. So see um, the purpose of a map is to describe the territory. But you might have an inaccurate map um, of a city or of a of anything that, that's not accurate, and that, that's not going to be a good descriptor of the territory. And too often times, a command and control paradigm or map of people and of leadership still exists in people. So these fundamental beliefs is a more complete map, a more accurate map of people and of leadership, and there's five of them. I'll just name them quickly. First, I believe that people have greatness inside of them. So if I buy that belief, my job as a leader is to unleash their potential, not to try to control them. Second, I believe that people are whole people, meaning body, heart, mind, spirit, and they bring their whole selves to work. So if I buy that belief, my job as a leader is to inspire, not merely motivate. those, Those first two beliefs are how I view people. They're whole people with greatness inside of them. Now, a command and control paradigm might be that yeah, there's a few people that have greatness, but most don't. The few that do, I call high potentials. They kind of are just judging based on limited data that most people don't. And at the end of the day, you just got to pay people. that's all they care about is money, but you're not tapping into their heart, their desire for caring and belonging, and their mind, their desire for growth and development and, and, and their spirit, their desire for contribution and creating value and having significance. So that's limited. Whereas the command and control or the trust inspired paradigm, people have greatness inside of them, and their whole people is expansive. Now, how do I view leadership? Those are the second, the last, the last three um, fundamental beliefs. So the third is, I believe that there is enough for everyone. That's so an abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality. So if I buy that belief, my job as a leader is to put, is to elevate caring above competing. Yes, let's compete in the marketplace, but let us care and collaborate in the workplace. Fourth, I believe that leadership is stewardship. It's about responsibility, not rights. Influence, not position. So if I buy that belief that leadership is stewardship, my job as a leader is to put service above self-interest. It's a better way to lead. I like to say it this way. Seek to bless, not to impress. And finally, number five. I believe that enduring influence is created from the inside out as opposed to outside in. So my job as a leader is to go first. Someone needs to go first. Leaders go first. And they model the behavior that we, they would like to see. You add those, those five fundamental beliefs together collectively, that is a more accurate paradigm or, meant or map, or model of people and of leadership. It's a better way to lead. But again, you can see how a, a command and control paradigm would be just a fraction of any of those pieces, and it'd be more positional and hierarchical as opposed to this expansive approach to people and the leadership.
1: And Stephen, it seems that in order to be able to lead this way, a person in that position would have to do the inner work so that there secure within themselves so that they're not coming from fear or scarcity. And so I would think that that would be a a really important place to start.
0: You are right on. And I know this is a big part of the work that you've done. That inner work is indispensable. It's vital. That's the idea, really, that the leader goes first. My job as a leader is to go first. And that going first is like first go in. It's inside out. And the inside means I work on myself as who I, who I am, my character, my competence, my credibility. Yes, I try to build and grow that abundance mentality. Cause I really believe that abundance is a choice, not a condition. You know, I know some people that have all kinds of things but are very scarcity minded. I know others that don't have much at all but are extraordinarily abundance minded. So it's a choice, not a condition. And you're right, you gotta work on yourself. You, you start inside out. And, and uh, that is the better modeling of leadership. My friend Doug Conant puts it this way, the only way out is in. Mm-hmm. So we've always got to start inside, look inside, look in the mirror, start with ourselves. We go first, we model the behavior that we would like to see.
1: Stephen, how do you think AI is going to play into leadership?
0: I think it's very significant in that there's extraordinary potential with what AI can help do. And I also think there's some real... Um, you know, caution and some watch outs that need to be in place. Ultimately, um, there's unique human endowments that I think will govern. You know, we are not programs, we're programmers. And so programmers do write programs. And I think that we need to tap into what is uniquely human about us. And that is a sense of of our, our caring and our empathy and our understanding and, and the, the connection that we can have, human to human, person to person. And, you know, because part of this trust and inspire is not only do I trust my people, I inspire them. And what inspires people? Well, people are inspired when they see a leader who models the behavior, who goes first. People are inspired when they see a leader who trusts them. And people are inspired when that leader also shows that they care about people. They connect with people through a sense of caring and belonging. And they also connect people to purpose and to meaning and to contribution. And these are things that are that are particularly, distinctively human. It doesn't mean there can't be some, some measure of replication on portions of it, but there's a human connection and element that is going to become actually at a greater premium than ever before because of all the AI possibilities. So what makes us distinct and human is going to matter even more going forward, and that's really beautifully aligned to trust and inspire. Where people, so if I'm if I'm working with a leader, and I know and I believe that that leader has my best interest at heart in mind, and is really seeking to unleash me and my potential, and and I really believe that. What they're all about is unleashing me, helping grow me. And I believe that, I feel that, I feel a sense of belonging. That inspires me. I not only perform better, I'm happier, better well being and joy. So what if we could be that kind of leader for those that we lead and those that we work with in our homes, in our neighborhoods and communities?
1: Stephen, when we get thrust into a leadership position and we really want to take an honest look at ourselves, is there a way that we can tell whether or not we're doing a good job?
0: I think we can. By if we, I, I, I do think that the, the self-awareness is important to try to step back and, and, and kind of say, is this working? I, I think most people's intent is good, and it's to be a good leader. No one wakes up and says, I want to make things really hard for my people today. It just happens naturally, right? <laughs> but, but instead, people want to do good, and they want to make a difference. So, so sometimes stepping back. And and, um, and really saying, is it working? How am I coming across? How are people experiencing me? Because quite often what can happen is this. Our style can get in the way of our intent. So our intent might be, I want to be a good leader and help develop my people and grow them and have them be happy and succeed. But sometimes our style, how we go about doing it, can get in the way of that intent. So I've learned to ask a couple of key questions, kind of step, step back and say, Let's let's, let's just take that first fundamental belief, that I believe that people have greatness inside of them. Um, So my job as a leader is to unleash their potential, not control them. So a question might be this, that I would ask myself, how do those who I lead or serve experience me in terms of seeing and developing their potential? So it's it's one thing if I say, yeah, I believe people have the greatness inside of them. How do those who I lead uh, see me in terms of their potential and their greatness? Do They say, hey, my, my leader, my boss really believes in me, sees my potential, and I feel it coming from them. Or maybe do they not? Kind of a good test of how am I coming across? How do I show up? How do people experience me? And I would do that for all five of those fundamental beliefs. I'd look at the belief, and I might say, that's my intent, but how am I coming across Do I really treat people as if they have greatness? Do I really see people as whole people? Or is it just all about money only? Do I really try to um, see people as um, having, do I have an abundance mentality or do you view me as scarcity where, you know, I want the credit and so forth. So it's kind of a good test of how am I showing up? How do I, how do people experience me? And you could ask that of yourself, step back. Sometimes it might be helpful to, to ask, maybe your people, or maybe at least one of them that you have a good relationship with. Of, Here, my intent is good. How am I coming across this work?
1: The book is Trust and Inspire, How Truly Great Leaders Unleash Greatness in Others. Stephen, where can our listeners go to learn more about you and your work?
0: Yes. Well, we have a website called trustandinspire.com. And that's A-N-D-N, trustandinspire.com. And There's great tools there, resources, ideas on this book, um, and some videos and other things that you can go deeper with this and apply this. And we really um, have found that this is not just kind of a a a theory, but it's really practical and tangible and actionable. And most people are kind of becoming clear that command and control doesn't work very well anymore in this new world where people have choices and options. If people don't feel trust and inspired, they're going to go elsewhere. So, command and control doesn't work. But people are less clear about what they need to move toward. I'm trying to name it: trust and inspire. In contrast to command and control. So, I'd say the best place to learn more: trustandinspire.com. You can get the book there if you're interested, as well, and other tools.
1: And once again, that website is trustandinspire.com. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us.
0: Thanks, Joan. It's wonderful to have this conversation with you. Thank you.